Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. You are tuned to Future Sense here on BFM. It's 10.35 and you may be listening to our podcasts, which you can hear within about 24 hours of this broadcast on Monday mornings here in Byron Bay uh, via futuresense.it or your favourite podcast platform. And thanks to all of you listeners out there in the world. And hopefully this is useful to you because the things that we are doing locally here should and will apply many times to all of you out there as we we move into this uh, unknown and quite, for some, quite fearful future. And sometimes, of course, people are quite fearful of technology. We've we've jumped from the Tesla to local economies with Helena Norberg-Hodge there to um, to what we're going to talk about now, a bit of space exploration, some some of those things that are happening out there right now. There's an asteroid warning, for example. NASA is tracking a four-kilometre-wide asteroid approach to the Earth. It's listed at NASA's Centre for Near-Earth Object Studies, CNEOS, in California. The asteroid has been officially called 52768 and is estimated uh, measured between 2.5 and 4 kilometres across. An object this big could potentially kill millions of people if it ever hit the planet in the distant future. Pales uh, the coronavirus uh, and other things by by various levels of orders of magnitude. Many orders. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why space is so interesting, uh, yeah. particularly to me, is because mm. it's, it's nice to get out there a little bit and just compare some of these numbers because they are... Very, very large. Um, uh, Another listener, Andy Hedges, just sent me a link about a paper in the Astrophysical Journal that was just published. They have recorded the largest explosion ever that they've seen in the world. In in the world, in the the universe. (laughs) The world's not big enough. Um, And this is fascinating because, uh, you know, from one point, this is the the largest recorded observation. Yeah. Doesn't mean it was the largest explosion No, that ever, ever. happened. It just means it's yes, the largest one we got a photo of. <laughs> that would be terribly anthropocentric if we said it was the largest one that ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what happened was this is in the galaxy cluster Ophicus and... Uh, Which is something to do with the serpent apparently. It's a serpent uh, trail yep. or something, yeah. It is. Mm. Um, and it was, the, this is from the New York Times, they say it was doing just fine um, until <laughs> this particular black hole uh, burped on it. And the black hole was several billion times as massive as our sun, for a start. And this is the largest recorded explosion. And the crater that it left was so large that you could fit 15 Milky Way galaxies in a row inside the crater. 15 of our whole galaxies galaxies. inside the crater of this exploding black hole. That's it. Okay, that's beyond comprehension, really. It's quite big. But isn't it fascinating that we we think about these things now? Uh, You know, I think this is an interesting point. The, you know, we we were talking at breakfast about the overview effect, which is what is termed uh, the moment when we saw Earth from space for the first time sometime there in the 60s or whenever it was exactly. And I sort of remember because I was alive then and how tremendously uh, 
changing it was for so many people that perspective and and this kind of perspective now that there is these bodies out there that we can now see and experience on such a gigantic scale must do something to our consciousness the way that we can or don't receive it and where we're placed with that yeah and there's a large spectrum of that um Mm. so this largest explosion recorded happened because nasa have got a X-ray observatory in orbit around the planet. Yeah. So we'll often hear about rocket launches, but we have no idea what they're launching. Um, in this case, it was an observatory which has been looking out for these uh, large explosions and black holes and other things, and now we know about it. Um, and so that's cool. Um, interestingly, the the paper was described as discovery of a giant radio fossil in the mm. Ophigus galaxy cluster. Um, and the actual explosion happened a few hundred million years ago. Yes, well, that's right. Um, Not very it's, recent. It's breaking news for us because yeah. the paper just <laughs> described the echoes of it, yeah, which we found for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're getting a, a better idea of what's happening in space. Mm. Uh, and it can feel distant, even though most of what we call space in, in the, the satellite realm is um, you know, between 400 kilometres to 30,000 kilometres high, which is fairly close when we're talking about galaxies. Uh, but every time you look at that flashing blue dot on the map on your phone, you know that the origin of that is GPS satellites. Yes, There's right. fifty, sixty of them flying yeah. around the in orbit. Um, and so every time you look at that, this is where it originally came from. And that's an interesting point because there are many people, and I know lots of them too, who are not exactly luddites but somewhat suspicious of technology generally. And yet, of course, we do use it. It's just embedded in our life stuff for most of us, most of the time, one way or the other. And maps or those sort of uh, other uh, so GPS uh, um, uh, apps uh, are a simple example of exactly that. Yeah. But that that notion that uh, we're you know we're embedded in this technology and yet somehow we're resisting to it and because the technology has done some bad shit you know well it's the people and the values behind the technology which i would say has uh, done the the objectively bad or good things Mm. um and uh, again to talk about the trip to uluru i stopped over in woomera um on the way and woomera is sort of roughly known for two things um, there was the immigration detention centre more recently, but uh, what put Woomera on uh, on this map um, a long time ago was that it was established as a rocket test range, mm. and it's the longest rocket test range in the world because it stretches from Woomera to you know the coast near Broome. Um, and back during the war, uh, some of the uh, what, I can't remember what countries it was. There was the UK, there was Australia, there was a few others. Certainly the UK, yeah. Well, yeah, all these um, scientists said we need some big rockets because they're getting fired at us from the other side. And so they went to Woomera and started building these rockets. And um, obviously they were trying to build military rockets and, and blow things up. Um, but now, if you go there, there's Japanese satellite researchers launching satellites as well. Mm. And most of those are actually for the weather. Uh, and so you, you watch the news on, on your iPhone or on your TV or wherever you watch the, the weather on Bay FM. Um, a lot of that weather forecasting does come from photos from space. Mm. And so there's satellites in orbit and at different different heights, mm. and they take photos of different things. Some of them are temperature, some of them are clouds. Um, and it's these kind of giant selfies which actually do inform our weather. Um, and so, again, that's a very practical, everyday thing. But yeah. It can get lost if you forget that's the origin of it. We talked about space being 400 to, say, 30,000 kilometres up, and that obviously has expanded since our time of, uh, of having science at the level that we are now currently have science, so to speak. But uh, Voyager 2 is an interesting example, too, because it's gone outside of that, uh, that, uh, that uh, parameter, hasn't it? Outside the interstellar boundary, yeah. yeah so, which is interesting, because it won't be able to actually answer, um, or we won't be able to answer it. We'll be able to get information back, right, but we won't, we won't be able to answer it. That's, that's sort of yeah. new territory, isn't it? It's an, that's another kind of almost a like almost a psychic expansion ourselves of our, of our capacity in a way. And it's fascinating because those 
the Voyager 1 and 2 were launched a long time ago. Yes. They're still going, which is very impressive. Um, but they're, they're running on the, the end of their fuel sources at the moment, and they're a long way away past the interstellar boundary. So that's very interesting because that's a new area of space that we don't know that much about. Mm. Um, we do know that the results the scientists got was different from their forecasts, and so that's interesting and we should learn more about it. At the same time, those that data gets sent back and is received by the Deep Space Network, which is a series of satellite dishes around the world, one of which is in Canberra. Yep. Canberra is the one that actually transmits to Voyager um, and transmits new commands and tells it where to go and all those well, things. Oh, we have such power in Australia. We oh, do. Oh, yes. <laughs> but it's also an old dish, and so they're an closing it down dish. for 11 months for maintenance, which I think is amazing. you should call it an old dish, poor, poor old lady. It's getting an the upgrade. The old dish. <laughs> it's getting an upgrade. You, you visited the one in Parks, too, didn't you? I did. In your, it, in it your journey, back, me. That was cool. journey, journey back from Uluru up over to here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there are these giant dishes, mm. and, and when you see them on the ground, they're just you know pointed into the sky. But um, there are some... Uh, NASA websites where you can see what are they connected to and are they listening or are they talking or are they doing a bit of both and they do move around as the sky moves around obviously throughout the day uh, but it's interesting that yeah. our furthest um, spacecraft, yes. the Voyager ones yeah. um, we're going to be out of touch with them for a whole year and yeah. so hopefully they keep going and collect some good data and we can hear it all because yes. that's that's really is the, mm. the frontier out there Certainly one frontier, that's for sure. And, of course, the person who's really pushing the frontiers in this area is Elon Musk, and we were talking about his uh, Teslas uh, before and uh, that expansion. And uh, Ross, being an owner of one, indeed knows full well from inside. And I've been in one, so it's kind of fun driving <laughs> out there uh, near the rock. But um, Elon Musk uh, just this week is, uh, is announcing that he wants to build one to two spaceships a week with the purpose essentially of uh, colonizing mars or beginning to colonize mars yeah um, do we need all that do we need a space fleet what's what, what taking all this well i've been watching a little bit of star trek recently oh, i love um, star trek just uh, freshly oh. getting into it oh. <laughs> it's pretty cute which and version from where back from when um the uh who's the guy the one on uh the new streaming one that just came out picard that's oh it. yeah yeah captain picard yeah. <laughs> yeah. and so picard's doing a lap yes. of the galaxies and uh, visiting all of his old mates and it's kind of a cute show <laughs> um but they take the idea of a star fleet for granted and that's mm. quite interesting because mm. uh i think a lot of young people kind of grow up assuming that's what nasa does um surely they're going to colonize different places but they're not doing it <laughs> no, not doing, and of course the reason is they don't have the money but uh, private enterprise such as uh, elon musk uh, does have that sort he of money does seem to have some money mm. um, and he's spending a lot of it on just making these these uh, starships as he calls them mm. so what's what's kind of revolutionary about this is until now you've had to be a country to make rockets because you needed that sort of money um, and now companies can do it. So st uh, SpaceX is one of them. Um, there's a number of others as well. But SpaceX were the first to launch an orbital rocket and re-land it. And um, as we're talking about sustainability, it's, it's fascinating to see the shift because mm. SpaceX do have reusable rockets. Yeah, well, that's a goal, isn't it? And yeah. therefore much, much, much less expensive overall much per, per trip. Yeah. yeah. What's it, what are the figures on that that are currently being so put out there? So generally when you... Um, buy a rocket launch. Um, it comes as a package. <laughs> and until recently... I'm saving. You might have spent 300 to $500 million on it. Um, partially that's because they throw the change. rocket out every time yeah. until now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so imagine if you, uh, you know, flew from Byron to Bali and you threw out the jet at the end. It'd be very, very, very expensive. Um, obviously, we know that all they do is 
you know, give it a, a quick clean and put some more fuel in and off you go. And so that's really what SpaceX have been working on as a fundamental thing, is being able to launch and then re-land and reuse. And so just last week, they had the 50th landing of a SpaceX rocket. Um, they had plenty of crashes and spectacular crashes yes, along to, the way. Yes, you do have to remember that. And, uh, <laughs> Which all rockets do. When I was in Womero, they have actually they have a museum of yes. just rocket pieces. Pieces that <laughs> fall to earth. And that's just part of rocketry. Um, but, yeah, once you've got a, a good one and you can re-land it and relaunch it, then the price can come down to... Uh, you know, closer to five or ten million for a refurbishment and refuel. Um, SpaceX, I believe, sell a retail rocket for fifty million dollars uh, for launch. So that's already ten times cheaper than the previous average. Yes. And they're trying to go again for another ten times cheaper. And he's pretty. I mean, he's just doubled his uh, workforce there at SpaceX uh, in the last week or so too. Yeah. But I noticed one of those one of those crashes, and there's a video clip uh, that you <laughs> sent me on uh, it's Ars uh, Technica dot. Com, uh, is one of the exploding rockets which uh, took off and it's interesting how you responded to that and uh, you know basically said look you you guys you, my, my engineers you didn't you, you didn't actually tell me that it wasn't really up to scratch and I need to know I want to take responsibility for that myself because yeah. you're under my auspice ultimately of course it is my responsibility and that's that's a, you know but he's pushing the limit is it because he really wants to go faster and faster and he faster really is this. and yeah. he, he thinks very big so yeah. um, he says get to a settlement on Mars we probably need on the order of a thousand ships and if you just work back from that goal instead of saying like let's build a ship and send it out let's build another ship if you say how many ships do we need to have a settlement on mars it's about a thousand mm. um, and that's that's the hardest part is getting the ships to mars and that's what he's working on mm. but it's interesting because he's working back and saying that we need to build one to two per week and it's very different when you build a production line of a product rather than just one product um, he also made a comment about uh, with the hiring, it was in. It was specifically for the factory building these starships, which is the yeah. the Mars rocket. Um, he said we can't have MIT graduates building these rocket parts by hand because MIT don't graduate enough rocket scientists. So there's literally just not enough people. So what we need is a production line where you can have different specialties of people and doing it in a repeatable fashion. Um, similar as well to the mm. satellite network they're building for space internet. They're building a production line and they launch 60 per launch. Um, and so they're actually they've started deorbiting, kind of burning up in the atmosphere. Some of the first batch already. Deorbiting, oh, that's a good word. I like that. Yeah. Deorbiting. <laughs> it's clear what it means. But I haven't heard it before. Yeah. Um, so you know, you could say that's one form of uh, clearing out the space junk. Yes. Here I am um, sitting in a tin can. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very different mindset that you need when mm. you're building a factory versus a, a, a one-off item um, and I think that's what this piece which we'll post on social media yes. is, is really um, digging into is is that mindset of if if you are building Starfleet you need something different to just a one-off yeah. large rocket yeah. um, what do you think about going to Mars I mean because I, I know many people uh, in this region are you know some people no doubt younger people like yourself are probably very excited by it on the other hand even though we've grown up with Star Trek people like myself and similar quite often predictive uh, fictional um, media it's all out there uh, we we have some suspicion of given the state of the planet now uh, and all the things all the problems we have why we would want to spend even if it's private money why we want to spend all that time and energy to get to Mars mm. what do you what do you think because I don't know where I sit with this I, mean, I, th I find it exciting on one level because I love space I love the idea of out there yeah and yet on the other hand I do live on this planet <laughs> my feet are on the ground I think it's a nice planet yeah it's a nice planet <laughs> well it is it's a beautiful planet and we should be more positive about just that you know it is yeah. a beautiful planet as you mentioned mm. though from the overview mm. looking back is one of the best ways to think well that actually really is a nice planet and yeah. the same whenever whenever you travel somewhere. 
even if it's the next town along the, the road, you'll see, you know, different ways of living. And yeah. you'll think, well, I like some of them yeah. and I don't like some of the others. <laughs> and you can take your pick, but it does expand your awareness to go somewhere and look back. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me is ultimately what um, the, the okay. Mars mission is, is really about. Um, I'm not personally interested in going to Mars in the first few hundred people because <laughs> it'll be rough, just like the first people to go to Antarctica or any yeah. any extreme environment. And mm-hmm. it, it is extreme. Um, but I wouldn't mind going into orbit you know, for a weekend. <laughs> That'd be fun. I've seen you in orbit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if I flap my wings hard enough. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll be like, um, uh, yeah. But yeah, you can see how um, uh, going to orbit is, is going to be a lot more accessible than going across the galaxy, uh, at least in the, in the next oh, 100 obviously. years. obviously. Well, we need a, a completely different order of technology to go across the galaxy than the kind of technology <laughs> that even Elon Musk is bringing forth at the moment. Well, it's funny because um, the person in charge at SpaceX is Gwyneth Shotwell, and she runs the, the program and um, you know does the operations, and she actually says that her goal is to go far beyond Mars and to go to the rest of the solar system and beyond the solar system. Mm. So her vision in some ways is larger than Elon's, <laughs> which I love. Well, I still think to do that, we're clearly going to have to give up burning stuff to get to, from here to there in space and find other kinds of technologies, which, you know, we talk sometimes about those sort of new revolutionary things that are not yet online that are likely to be out there. We're trying to find them and trying to prove them. It's hard. Yeah. But, you know, and that addiction that we have to the past as human beings rather than to the future, so to speak, to put it very bluntly because we're almost running out of time. But, you know, we don't see uh, enough, I don't think, that from the perspective that we are now, we look back 50 years, 100 years, or even 10 years, and the, the changes, the technological changes that have come are just extraordinary in my lifetime. It's off the Richter. And it is an exponential, exponential change. And yet it's hard for people to see from where we are now into the future and see that these changes are going to be even more accelerated, that the possibilities dependent on who's programming it, who's making it, and for exactly. what reason, what the value system is. But to give that some kind of trust, if you will, to my mind, is probably a good thing. And not blind trust. We need to be discerning about yeah. these things and how we're going to apply them and what's valuable, what's truly useful, and not just sort of some sort of junk idea, which yep. we've got tons of on the planet already. <laughs> the, the paradox is that if you look at the early stage investing in startups and new companies, mm. um, you know, venture capitalists go into an investment believing that one in ten choices will actually work out. Um, that, and, but at the time, they believe that every single investment has the capacity Potential. to mm. go that big. Mm. But they know that ninety percent of them are, are going to, mm. you know, lose. How do they? Given. How do they? How, how do they balance that um, that incongruency within their actual it's vision of the what's business. A, part of the business? Um, yeah, well, venture capital investment and startup investment—it's uh, such a small amount of the pie, uh, and it's the same with space travel. The amount that we spend as a as a planet on space travel is so small. So if Elon fires a few rockets, it's it's like the cars. He makes as many cars as he can. It's 0.7% of the world's cars. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so early stage investments and things are always going to be much smaller and they're going to be riskier. And But we have to do them. That's the nature of it. You yeah. try a bunch of stuff. Yeah. You learn a lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot of rockets blow up on the way. Uh, a lot of startups blow up on the way. And the, you know, the, the super useful ones that actually do satisfy um, you know, the needs that we have in reality um, they succeed, they spread, and then they become your everyday thing that you stop thinking about, like the blue dot on the on the map on your phone. <laughs> As a lovely, I don't think I can find it quickly enough. Perhaps I can. Uh, a beautiful piece about um, 
matter itself, uh, maybe I shouldn't jump to this as a bit too big a topic, but the, the notion <laughs> that matter itself is like a like an empty canvas that we as, as beings paint upon, so to speak. And that's what we're doing really as creati- creativity, as, cre- as creative beings in a sense, so that when you start something, a new idea, you have to go through that period of, of, uh, of making mistakes, of failures, of, of going down the wrong track and finding yeah. something to cul-de-sac and so forth. But it actually is our very nature to do just that yeah. as human beings. Yeah, going inside, having that inner vision mm. and then trying to actually make it in the real world. That's mm. that's the big challenge we're talking about on all these topics is Indeed. how does it materialise? Have to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us here on Future Sense and coming up next is Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond. Thank you. Thank you all out there who are listening via podcast. As we are saying, the podcast version of this program will be up within uh, about 24 hours or so. Futuresense.it is the doorway to that, if not your platform that you already have it saved on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much to Ross Hill, who will be, I think, back next week, sitting in the chair with me as my uh, my um, uh, standing co-host. And uh, hello to Steve McDonald out there who may be listening in Austin, Texas. And uh, we will be with you next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ross. Thanks. Yeah. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.